Hey, welcome to the Extra Podcast. My name is Daniel. I'm joined around the table with Greg Harris and with Jeff Bucknam. Boom. Goes the Jeff dynamite. Boom-num. And uh, gentlemen, we are sitting here in an iconic moment, a defining moment in culture, culture shaping moment even. The iPhone X has just been released as we speak, hot off the press. Jeff, first thoughts. No buttons. No buttons on the front. It apparently is fulfilling the great dream of all the iPhone creators. They had a vision one day to create a seamless phone in which we didn't push any buttons. Johnny Ives has just joined us from Apple in the studio here. He's saying about this. Johnny, hi. Our vision has always been to create an iPhone that is entirely screen. One so immersive. The device itself disappears into... The experience and so intelligent it can respond to tap your voice even a glance. Ooh, a glance. With the iPhone X, the vision is now reality. So, so hello really, a tap to the resp- future. So, all right, they wanted to make it like a woman. Then I just, I just love how they can respond to a tap, your voice, or even a glance. Uh, they're intuitive. There's that some, way. there's some guy in the room after they released the seven who was like, "More screen! <laughs> I need more screen!" <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm looking at my iPhone right we now, need, do, and I'm not. Is that the that's the felt need of the iPhone? Too much, too too little screen. Too little screen. You see that little button? That could have been screen. I'm not a big fan of the button. The button gets in the way of my screen. Have you ever have you ever noticed that every <laughs> have you ever noticed that every uh, iPhone iteration is always followed with by the word revolutionary. Like every single one is Do it's they a say new. It? Well, they say things like the, the the it's an the last time a product this revolutionary came out was when the iPhone came out. Right. The Super Retina screen fills the hand and dazzles the eyes. Fills <laughs> dazzles the eyes. It curves elegantly around corners. Oh my gosh! Here's wow. the thing, though. They they don't need all of that to sell it. No, there'd be a bunch of people line up at the Apple store to buy it. Yeah. Of course they will. That that is more disappointing. Here here's a little piece of late Are you gonna line er, up early no early two thousands uh history for you. Mm. So remember when the Canucks decided to, to change quote unquote change their logo mm. from the whale and, the and whale. The, the blue silver red look. Yes. And they had this big event oh. that they invited a bunch of fans to to say, we're going to give you your new Vancouver Canucks logo. So we've, the stadium's filled. I was there. It's very excited for Why the, did for you the go? new logo. Someone gave me a ticket and I was very excited to see the new jersey. And the big reveal was now the colors are blue and we added the word Vancouver on top of the whale. Yeah. And people were like lining up to buy this. And I remember thinking, this isn't new. This is what every iPhone new iteration of the iPhone yeah. is like to me. It's, it's the hype it's the, machine, man. It's the changing it, the color to blue and to adding the word Vancouver over top of the logo and saying, see, brand new and awesome. Or it's in not. this case, adding more, more screen. <laughs> I need screen. It's revolutionary is what it is. It is revolutionary. Screen guy Elegant. finally got his day in the sun. <laughs> you know, what are they going to do next? Less screen. It's <laughs> too much screen. <laughs> Oh, gentlemen, what a... You're just going to put it inside your body at some point, right? Seriously. It's going to be just your hand. Can't we just do that already? Oh, they already mm. can. You know it. They just have to sell six different iterations before we get to that. They're going to do more screen before they do more screen. More of that. Do you remember there was a day where the cell phone, it, it, it everyone wanted a littler one? Mm-hmm. 
So these, there was these little tiny Nokias. I remember yep. those. And the little but flip, now, not anymore. The, they flipped or no? Now you got people with the. No, I, I've seen Nokia. people with the uh, with the the iPad Minis taking pictures and uh, stuff. They're the worst. IPad. They're usually older people, but they have the iPad Minis taking pictures at the family event. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, and then they give it to you and say, "Do you know how to use this?" And you're like, "Yeah." Can <laughs> I? It's like seven front-facing photos. Look, I need I need one more rant. <laughs> what is the deal with people who insist on every person's camera has to be used for the group photo? Like these people oh. who don't understand that we just need one digital version and we'll email it to everyone. No, no, take one with my camera. Let's take eight at once. Which camera do we look at? Doesn't matter. It's going to be terrible no matter who takes it because there's 12 cameras going on. This is a good point. Here, take Why my don't you camera. take one? Yeah. 12 pictures it. with one and email all 12 pictures to everybody. I've suggested this and? in different settings. No, oh, no, it'd just be easier if I get but it on my just, camera. No, just really quick. Just let me just take it one with my camera too. Okay, you sure? Because my kid's melting down. <laughs> so you like this picture's not going to turn out. Is it good? just real quick? Crazy. Yeah, I don't family. know why I even got on that. Oh, the iPad camera. The iPad yeah. camera. That was a hot take, Greg. But yeah. that is what we do. This is a this is a radio show where anything goes. Daniel, you said before we start recording, you wanted to share a. Favorite podcast memory. Personal story. I did, Greg. Thank you for bringing that back. You're welcome. Um, and it's actually, it, the reason I thought about it, it was technology related. Mm. We were yelling about the scream in the pre-production <laughs> meeting. And uh, it reminded me of my favorite podcast moment because I've been listening to this since like Groundhog Day, right? Yeah. Episode one, Groundhog Day. And there was a moment. Did you know that, Jeff? No. <laughs> no. They all blur into one episode, right, Jeff? They do. It becomes my life. <laughs> podcast is my life. So I... Uh, my my favorite memory though is you talking about some young guy in a basement yelling to his mom about a URL. <laughs> then he started going URL, mom! <laughs> URL. Do you remember that? I do. That is you my do? favorite podcast moment. <laughs> what was the context of the know. URL? I, don't know. I think it was about getting. You people- can go back and listen. That's why we have the archives online. That's right. We got to so find that, that so one. that everybody at some point, whenever we want to get new jobs, will never hire us. You <laughs> are. <laughs> 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 Anyways, this uh, has been uh, a great opening, hasn't it? I think these first eight minutes have been the most yelling off mic we've had in any episode. It's just it's a great radio. Hey, um, URL. Jeff, you preached this weekend. I did. We're, we're back in Romans. Look at us. Yes, we are back in Romans. So why did we stop? I don't know. I mean, I do know. There seem you know, there there's... There's two schools of thought on this. No, I, I, I think that uh, there are those who like to mix it up a little bit. So they don't have the patience oftentimes to do a long book. Romans covers so many different subjects that it was would quite honestly be pretty easy to do. Although we as a church have a commitment to covering the different genre. genre. <laughs> Sorry, I use that because the, there's a, a professor, D.A. Carson, who says he's Canadian he's Canadian I think he grew up in French Canada yep. and he said whenever he says the word genre he says Jean. he insists on pronouncing words with a French etymology yeah, yeah, with like a French souffle. accent when he goes no. to Starbucks hi I'd like a croissant yeah <laughs> he would that's right he would so um yeah anyway we like to cover the different genres of scripture like uh, so, here you have Paul's letters. We also want to make sure we cover some minor prophets, some major prophets, some Old Testament history, some Old Testament law, New Testament 
uh, gospel poetry narrative and do some poetry. Mm-hmm. We we did some wisdom literature last year with uh, Proverbs. Uh, you, there's just a lot of genres in the scripture, so we want to cover all of them. But if you're just doing Romans, that's going to take you. I mean, you're going to do it right. It's going to take you what year and a half, eighteen months, something well, like that. Darcy mm-hmm. inf- has an infinite story of growing up in a church where I think until he was like fourteen or fifteen, the only thing he remembers is the Sunday morning being was his pastor going through Romans. Yeah. For like every 14 years. He would get through like four words <clears throat> Yeah, and then he would stop and preach a sermon on those four words. Yeah. Which is possible in Romans. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, uh, you, you, you could do that, but anyway, you, but it's also the kind of book you can't do. And I, I've been around where people have said, Oh, let's do Romans in, in 12 weeks. And I, I just, Wow. It's such a theologically dense book. That's hard to do. So we're kind of splitting the difference, trying to make it work. I don't know. Probably pleasing nobody in the process, but it's happening. Well, the people I've talked to, I think they're pretty excited about getting back into it. What, what are you most looking forward to in preaching through Romans? Well, I mean, I enjoy the, theolo- the, the richness of the theology and the subjects that it brings up, especially as we get going into Romans 5 to 8. You're going to cover the ground on a lot of things that have to do with salvation. I mean, we're already talked about in Romans 1 to 3, the doctrine of justification a little bit. But now you're going to get into doctrine, the doctrine of sanctification, it means the Christian life, right? And how does that work? And what is the function of the Old Testament law? And how should that, how should Christians, new covenant Christians relate to the, to, to the, to the Mosaic law? And what does life in the spirit look like? And uh, can I lose my salvation? And uh, what do we do with the, how 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 should we understand the stand the created order? Is it going to be renewed or not? Suffering is a major portion of Romans eight. Uh, how should we view suffering? I talked about it in Romans five as well. Um, how, about low level Christian living, about people. What do you what do we say about somebody who says they're a Christian but doesn't live that way? How should we respond to them? Romans six is basically that's what it's talking about. So. Like all sorts of really cool questions. And then at the end of Romans 8, you get doctrinal election a little bit. Yeah. And that gets into Romans 9 next year, which will be, that'll be a party mm. uh, for lots of people who will like to write emails and freak out about what it says. But a lot of people haven't read, honestly, a lot of people haven't read Romans 9, at least not, not slowly. So we're not doing that this year, but next year we'll get into that. But we will end Romans, the fall series of Romans with... Uh, with that, that link of yep. predestined and called. and Yeah, so that's in Romans eight twenty nine, And so you get to the end, and then the implications of that are in Romans eight thirty one to 39, which, what shall we say in response to these things of God's for us, who can be against us? And so, look, it's really an encouraging right. section of Scripture. I mean, like massively encouraging. I mean, mm-hmm. there are a few, a few downers along the way. Uh, you know, more like downers it, in the first section of Romans? No. <laughs> in terms of downers in the sense that uh, you know, a realization of, you know, what the real problem is in Romans seven, Paul's going to argue the problem isn't the laws around us that keep us, mm. the, the laws aren't the issue. The, the, the sin in our members, sin in our body is what's causing the world to go haywire. Mm. So stop blaming everything else and recognize that what's happening is your sin is causing the trouble. So like that, that's a, not a popular concept or view these days, right? We like to view ourselves as, as victims of outside forces but Romans won't let you do that. That's a great, I mean, honestly, I used to teach, I've taught, um, I taught Romans in uh, Bible colleges before, and this section, 
probably six through 11. I'm sorry, five through 11 is probably my, my favorite part of the book. Mm. Romans 12, chapter 12 and beyond is also fantastic. It's really practical, right? Mm -hmm. It talks about all sorts of very practical church oriented things and commands about how, what you, how you should live and that kind of thing. But the, 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 the rich theology is where we are now. So what, are we thinking we're finishing Romans in three falls or four? No, we're going to do nine to 11 next fall yeah. and then probably 12 to 16, yeah. which will be a challenge. But yeah, we'll probably just finish it out mm-hmm. that last year. So in, in, the law, in the end, it'll take four years or so and intermittently. Acts was how many years? Five? I think five. Yeah. Over mm-hmm. five years. Something like that. Yeah, a little bit over because once we got to the end, we were like, let's let's just finish it out. We so just went back to it in the spring. It's a lot something. of Providence and Paul's missionary journeys. Those yeah. last few chapters. Yeah, yeah, that's what it's about. Yeah, mm-hmm. but we are, um, you know, we're doing some other stuff this year. We're going to talk about Abraham. Uh, we usually we've done character studies in the past, so we're going to do Abraham. We've done David in the past, and uh, Elijah, and Elijah, Jacob, and Jacob, and uh, that Jacob one still remains one of my favorite. Do we do Jonah Sermon as well? Series. Yeah, we've done Jonah. But we've done all these character studies, and they've gone really... Joseph we did years yeah, ago. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so we're going to talk about Abraham this year and some of the highlights and lowlights of his uh, of his life. Uh, and that'll be the part where we include Romans 4. We're talking... We're going to do the the uh, book of Joel, because we don't do, new, we don't do um, minor prophets a lot. So we're doing the book of Joel later in the year. And uh, the book of Jude, which is actually all about false teaching. So that, that'll be an interesting little um, party. Mm-hmm. In fact, did you know that the false teaching that is warned about in Second Peter comes to its fruition in Jude, which is mm-hmm. an interesting little tidbit. The similarities between the way the false teaching and the warnings are described in Second Peter with all these future tenses, this will be the case, this will be the case, are all present tenses in Jude. Mm. So it's like, oh, actually, it is happening, it is happening, it is happening in this particular mm. church, which is in and of itself an interesting they're, Are they thought. describing the same, the actual yep. same church? Well, like in the same city? This, or the, the, At least the false teaching, it sounds uh-huh. like they're describing the same false teaching because the si- very similar language is used in, in both books. Yeah, so a lot of people have treated them as partners. So if you go to a seminary or whatever, they'll usually teach Jude and, Jude and the Petrine epistles, so First and Second Peter. They'll usually teach those together. Huh. Sweet. Well, I want to come back to the false teaching things. We have some questions about that. But off the top of your heads, as people are studying, following along in Romans this year, what are some books off the top of your head that would be helpful in this? About, about Romans. About Romans, about some of the things that are going to be discussed some of the themes you mentioned that really expound the Yeah, J.I. Packer's book, Keep in Step with the Spirit, which we've mentioned before, is a good book on sanctification. Um, you know, there's a whole bunch of four views books around that I think are really good, four or five views books that are interesting because they'll cover the gamut of the different viewpoints on some some matters. Um, yeah, that series is called, Zondervan is the publisher, and they're called the Counterpoint series. So it's a really great place to go to as a resource to find. All sorts, to, and we have all, all that stuff in our, just so you know, we... We buy, I think, almost all the counterpoint stuff. Yeah. So all of that is in our church library, our yeah, church resource, uh, resource center, center, which is right by Center Court. Yeah. And you can walk in there and get some good theology books. We've put some effort in the last while in putting some books in there that are valuable. And we usually try to highlight at the front of the resource center the books that are most applicable or 
at least are applicable to the whatever sermon series we're in. Yeah, so there'll be a few uh, that are there. There's a five views on sanctification book, which will have uh, is a lot of what we're going to be talking about. But you have to like theology, okay? These are theological books that we're talking about, mm. um, and the ones that'll be in there will be that that way. So awesome. There you go. So go check out those books. I'm sure they're going to be snatched up real fast. There'll be other ones that we, I mean, as we go through, we'll recommend stuff here on the podcast that you can read if you want. Or, uh, I mean, we get to the doctorate election, we'll give you different, um, we'll give you different resources from different viewpoints and the best ones that we think are, uh, represent uh, a more reformed view and what represent a a less reformed view or a, a view that's historically called Arminian. So, yeah. And middle ground ones like the Molinist stuff. So there's lots of different views around about some of the stuff, but we'll give you what we think are the best ones and from every viewpoint. Awesome. Well, we'll look forward to that. Now, getting back to the false teaching things, guys, I want to put put before you a hypothetical situation. Okay, so we have a, uh, a mother, not actively walking with the Lord, but every day as she drives her kids to and from school and whatnot, she has the Christian radio on. And on the Christian radio at the particular times that she is driving these kids to work, um, Joel Osteen mm. is playing on the radio. So he is, um, I think mean, we've talked about him before on here, haven't we? Mm-hmm. About prosperity gospel. So that's the prosperity gospel on the radio. What's the prosperity gospel? So the, probably one of the best ways to summarize Joel Osteen's ministry is he is, uh, one of the big things in his ministry is about you know, finding and living out the destiny that God has given you for your your life, which destiny means your success, your um, yeah. ability to overcome each challenge and trial, so that on the outside of on on the end of it, you are better off, not just spiritually more mature, but you are you are healthier and you are wealthier. So it's a this worldly, yeah. Uh, not not a another worldly meaning that we're looking forward to the reward of heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes that reward of heaven he does, and most and the prosperity teachers take that reward of heaven and place it in the present life. Yeah. So when the scriptures describe the kind of pros- genuine prosperity that people will have in what has historically been known as heaven mm-hmm. in the new heavens, new earth, right, as part of redeemed humanity, they say no, that stuff actually should happen in the here and now. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not experiencing it, and that stuff is like healing and financial blessing and, you know, uh, driving the whatever big car, whatever, all, all the good, good uh, stuff that everybody wants. If you're not experiencing that in here and now, there's something wrong with your Christian life. Mm. Um, it's what is called in theological terms an over-realized eschatology. Eschatology meaning the end times, okay, believe in the end times, and over-realized meaning that you you think that what's supposed to happen in the end times is being realized in the present time to an in an over uh-huh. uh, over way. Do you, uh-huh. do you know, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, because we'd say as and correct me if I'm wrong, but as Christians, we're gonna have this incredible life. On the other side, well, of the this word life. prosperity is a good is is a good word for what I what the Hebrews call the word shalom. Mm-hmm. That's what it means. Well, full wellness. The idea that so when 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 Paul writes, for example, in Romans five, uh, we have peace with God. 
he's probably drawing on an image of shalom, which is in the Old Testament. It's not just that we have a cessation of hostilities with God. It's that we have that and God's blessings upon us in a material sense, ultimately. And he's writing about this in the in the present time, although even in that passage, Romans 5, he's also talking about salvation in a future sense. We will be saved from his wrath. So this is the challenge. We live between the times. We live with the the kingdom already here, but not yet totally here with uh, our salvation already here, but not yet totally here with our prosperity here, but not yet totally here. And so there's this tension that you have to live with as a Christian and re- recognizing that, yes, there is a reward to come. And sometimes the Lord might bring it on your life now, but there's no guarantee that God will do that in the here and now. In fact, if anything, the New Testament argues that the, the normal Christian life for a a devoted follower of Jesus will probably have more persecution and suffering than it will have the kinds of heavenly um, situations that you would find in heaven itself. This is why a lot of the the early Christians, the, the church fathers, as they're called, would, would talk a lot about part of the Christian, the normal part of the Christian life is sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right. This idea that you are going, it is going to happen. And it's not a glorying in suffering in and of itself, but it's a preparing for the suffering and the realizing that God will use the suffering to prepare you yeah. for what is yet to come. So it's a, so the, we're saying the prosperity gospel, the way we've defined it, is a false teaching uh, in that it's an over-realized eschatology. And it's teaching people, Christian people, to expect something in the present life that they are not to ex- that, that, that is not promised them mm-hmm. until the life to come. Um, yes. Okay. So that is, and that's what Joe Osteen preaches. Absolutely. So boom. There you go. That's what yeah. we have. So this lady, she's driving her kids to work or to school every day on the radio. She's listening to this prosperity message from Joe Osteen. And the question is this, because as she's listening to this message over and over again, she's grown warm to it. Mm-hmm. Like, I like listening to this guy. He's, he's kind. The stuff he says is nice. Like I can get behind this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's encouraging, uplifting, whatnot. What's worse because maybe, so let's just say maybe now you're, you're engaging and able to have some sort of gospel conversation mm-hmm. with, uh, with the lady. Mm-hmm. What's worse, having Joel Osteen on this radio at this hour or having no Joel Osteen on the radio at this hour? I mean, it's a good question um, because the viewpoint of lots of us is like, well, I mean, we could tell stories about, hey, I, I have a friend and they were far from God. And then, you know, so they started listening to Joel Osteen on the, I don't know, somehow through the Internet or whatever or on TV. And it's they're warmer now toward God. Um, the, the question I look, you need to you need to, uh, to determine whether or not the teaching of Joel Osteen is uh it is on the level of heresy because then I can just remove the language or the people out of it. And I could say, look, look, is it better for people to believe in heresy than not believe at all? Hmm. And I, my answer is meh, right? I actually, in some cases would probably prefer that they don't believe at all because I think heresies oftentimes inoculates people from the truth. So in that in that case, if we, if we judge Joel Osteen's, what he's saying is heretical, then I would say, yeah, that's the case. If it's not heretical, if it's just a, 
a falseish teaching, meaning that it's a he's a Christian guy, and so I'm sorry, I'm taking this out of the Joel Osteen category. Mm-hmm. So let's take the names out of it. Um, it it's just a an, uh, a Christian person who's teaching some things that are true. The core stuff is right, and the the other stuff's not. You know, I would say, well, that you know, in the long run, that's probably going to be hard for that individual. Um, in their life at some point, right? Because false teaching has its implications in your life, but it would be better for that person to be living. I would, you know, and as long I, I, at that point, I'm going to say as long as the gospel's preached, right? right? This is what Paul's language in Philippians is. Right. And I think that's what he's referring to is that, yeah, these people preach it out of false motive and whatever, but they've got the core message, right? And so, man, as long as the gospel's preached, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm cool with it. Yeah. So my answer is, I hope nuanced, mm-hmm. uh, I think one one of the reasons why someone would say it's better Joel than nothing is the idea that uh, at least with Joel and hearing his ministry, the the temperature in someone's life for being aware of spiritual things is going to be raised. Right. It's, it's, I don't know many people who would say Joel Osteen's a false teacher who would also say, I think everyone should listen to Joel Osteen. So I, I don't think it's, I don't want to create this straw person who's saying, oh, it'd be great. Yeah. He's teaches really bad things, but it's totally fine if you listen to it. I think the argument is, but it's better than nothing because it, it gives us an opportunity to, to have spiritual conversations now. Well, so what like, would your feedback be to that? Kind yeah. Of no, I, of, if, if, if you see it as an opportunity to, to initiate a conversation with somebody and talk to them that that's great. Um, but I, again, though, I don't see that any difference between that and, and them not listening to Joel Osteen though. You, I think you could start a conversation with somebody who's not listening to Joel Osteen. Right. You're also making a massive, massive assumption that the person who's not listening to Joel Osteen is not spiritually aware or open. Well, that, that, that's my main pushback against why I would lean towards the better no Joel than Joel is that I think we underestimate the spiritual crises that people can find themselves in, even without being exposed to to guys like Joel Osteen. People will still have questions about why are things the way they are. I mean, we bug him a lot, and rightfully so, but Andy's right in that people do ask really big questions but you're, about life. But you're... you're I'm, I, see, I'm going to keep coming back here because... Yep. That phrase, as long as the gospel is preached, is is my attitude. I think toward people who are not false, te- not not teaching falsely in a heretical sense. Do you understand? Right. They might be yep. they t- they're teaching true doctrine, maybe from bad motive, mm-hmm. or true doctrine with a few extra bits thrown in that are that aren't ruining the doctrine completely, but kind of lead. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They they make some implications that aren't necessarily there. Mm-hmm. But as far as the core of the message, it's it's. It's there. So I'm, I think that's what Paul's talking about when he says, as long as the gospel is preached, mm-hmm. it's fine. The question is, so there are people who say, well, well, Joel Osteen preaches the gospel. And Every that, time he invites people to a relationship with Jesus right, at the, the end of his sermons. The question I have is what kind of relationship with Jesus is he inviting them to and which Jesus? Yeah. Mm. That's my and, question. And so in the end, yep. this is a discussion, though, that needs to start by saying, okay, what are we dealing with when we talk about Joel Osteen? That's the kind of one I was separated from Joel Osteen because I, I really don't want to talk about that. What I want to talk about is, right, let's, let's just evaluate every teacher and let's say, look, if the core doctrine 
that they're teaching is in, in line with the apostolic gospel, right? People called, called the faith and repentance or repentance and faith properly said, then great. Then great. E- even if their motives aren't great and they seem to be getting fame out of it or like, do you know what I mean? And there are people out there who are like that, but if the core gospel is, is there, then we should be not celebrating. I don't think Paul's celebrating when he says, as long as the gospel's preached, but he's at least taking an attitude toward it, which is what the questions is about. Right. Daniel, it's, it, it's basically like, yeah, better, better that than nothing. Yeah. Is it better that there was an opportunity for right. it in the first place? Right. But I don't think that what Paul's saying when he says, um, as long as the gospel is preached is referring to somebody who's not actually preaching the historic gospel. Yeah. I, I don't, I think Paul's attitude toward people who don't preach the historic gospel is more what you'd find in Galatians, right? If an angel, even if an angel comes and preaches a different gospel to you, let them be accursed. Mm-hmm. So, so if that's the case, then I'm going to say, no, it's not good for like, why should I celebrate that this person's now being, you know? Yeah. Paul's really concerned about which gospel it is. And that's kind of what gets him fired up about it. Mm. So then here's, here's a question. So we would say that was a discussion about, you know, maybe someone who's like gonna, you know, in the early stages of believing or faith. What about someone who has been a believer for a while and now is curious about, okay, I want to listen. Would you advise or say no from a pastoral level to someone listening to Joel Osteen and uh, so they can critique it and, and see where, you know, it's difficult? Yes or no? <laughs> I mean, I, I think yes or no. There's two ways. Yes or no. There's <laughs> there's two ways, at least two ways that you could want to approach listening to him. Though there there's one way to try to engage with it so that you can hear what the argument, what he actually teaches, so that you're better equipped to actually handle. Because maybe there's someone in your life who actually does read a lot of his books, and and you want to not just be saying, "Well, I heard like a pastor in my church say he's not good, so he's not good." And then when they have a response, you feel completely unprepared to have a conversation. That's one motive to listen to them, which I would say, okay, sure. Like, I think you're coming in intentionally being discerning and intentionally doing the, the act of the Bereans from the book of Acts where they're hearing the teaching and judging it against scripture, all that kind of stuff. I'd say, yeah, it's not, we're not saying let's do a book burning thing and we're out outlawing certain books. But if your approach though is, saying, no, you know what? I, I want to, I want to come to him for my own encouragement because, you know, I get, I get my good doctrine at Northview and I get my good encouragement from Joel Osteen. In that context, I would say, "Mm, I don't actually think that's the best way to do it because what you're doing now is you're, you're saying, well, one, one kind of teaching, one kind of gospel is good for my head and the other kind is good for my heart. And I would want you to integrate your head and your heart. Right. That I would want the truth of the gospel and its implications to to seep their way into your heart instead of what I what I consider the cotton candy that Austin's offering you, which is yeah initially great but leaves you just uh, you know wasted. Hmm. Um, yeah. So guys, if if we meet someone or there's someone at the church then who is, you know, fully into this, mm-hmm. uh, fully into the prosperity gospel or maybe some other really intense false teaching, how do we counsel them back and bring them back? Like what's patiently correcting them? 
Those are the words that Paul uses when he talks about the mm-hmm. consistent preaching of the word in Second Timothy chapter four. Patiently correcting. So there's two parts to that. Correct. You have to have a willingness to correct. And I think that there's also the word gentle shows mm-hmm. up in the context, right? I'm thinking about Second Timothy two, mm-hmm. right? That with all gentleness and compassion and all the sorts of things. So there's a gentle kind of correction that needs to go on. I don't think it's a bashing people over the head, but it's also a patient correction. And the, the patient correction is means that look, people aren't gonna agree with you the first time necessarily, but if you have, if you patiently and persistently, uh, you know, try to, talk them through and reason through and consider, you know, and ultimately what you're doing with people is trying to take them back to the scriptures and say, look, what, let, let's just look at what he's saying according to what the scriptures are teaching in their context and, and see if that's right. Right. And that's, in my opinion, the way, the way that people end up changing their minds. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I think having a plurality of voices in terms of where you're um, learning and growing and that kind of stuff is good. I mean, I think all of us would agree it's good that we're, we, we in our day and age have access to great commentaries and great teaching and great resources. And there's all kinds of really great churches in the area that are going to equip you to be a, a disciple of Jesus. And so I think it's, it's good that there's a plurality of voices. I think one of the challenges of being in this context where honestly we couldn't ask for more resources than we have in terms of Christian thought. I think one of the challenges is the always seeking another voice. And well, it leaves you kind of paralyzed same way that you do when you stand in front of the toothpaste dial. You're yeah. like, I don't know. I, I just, I don't know. I'd like toothpaste. Right. <laughs> I, and I would like somebody to tell me which toothpaste to have, please. So Colgate I, or Crest. Don't exactly. So, so teeth whitening. My, my, my hammer. My point is, I I think that there is something good about committing to a a body of believers who you're going to live the Christian life with, and have it be okay for you to say, you know what, I'm going to attend a church and I'm going to listen to the preaching and, like Jeff said, evaluate it on the basis of whether it's the real gospel or not, and 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 join a community group and talk about Christian things with them and. You, you can for sure read other resources and listen to other sermons. Go for it. But I, I do think that because we have so much access to stuff, we, we just decide, oh, I'm going to take a little bit from here and a little bit from there. And I like this guy and how he tells right, jokes. So and I like this guy's encouragement and this guy's doctrine. And buffet I'm going to create my own buffet of, of teaching. Whereas I, I do think there's something healthy to the, you're in a local church where there are elders who are responsible for so can I, I, I have a question along these lines then for you, for you guys, and it's a question slash comment slash rant. Yep, love it. Um, so my question is, um, how should we understand, or we live in a world, like you say, Greg, that has all sorts of options, and there are a myriad of choices that you can make in terms of who you're going to listen to or whatever. Whenever we as a church... Um, We'll bring on a staff member or somebody who's going to be teaching doctrine, whether it's uh, somebody who's an elder or uh, any any level of pastor that we have or even directors in our church. We give them a theological questionnaire. Our interns fill it out. And one of the questions on the questionnaire is, what, who, who are your favorite teachers, blah, 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 right? right? One of the things over the years that we've done this, and I've probably seen uh, probably over 200 of these. Well, that's too many. I don't know, maybe 100. Many. Though. 
of these things. What I'm surprised at is how rarely when it's when the question is asked, you know, who, who's who's influenced your theology, whatever, how mm-hmm. rarely it's the local church pastor of the local church that you just cited. Mm-hmm. How it's and I don't know what that I don't know what the reason for that is, but I think it's I think it shows that most of us these days are getting our theology slash teaching slash whatever from sources outside of the local church. Is this good? Well, there, I mean, I feel a tension in me even as I'm raising that point and listening to you because at one level, like you, you can't start a cult quicker than saying, don't listen to anyone but the pastor. Like that's kind of cult 101, yep. right? Is, is no one is allowed to have a voice that has any kind of meaning except for me. Like that's a great way to start a cult. And so we're not saying that. But at the same time, I, I do think there's something fundamentally wrong with the fact that, that we treat doctrine like a buffet, and we decide to pick and choose and just have, you know, we're going to pick our favorite teachers and, well, and I th- I really think... follow their careers. And yet our, our commitment level to a local body of people, our attendance at church is body. Our involvement in serving at the church is negligent. Our involvement in a community is purely for our own self-serving reasons when it's convenient to us. And yet we feel like we're deepening and growing in our faith because look how many blogs from John Piper I read this week. Yeah. So here's here's my con- my concern with it. Um, when when Paul is writing to some of the the churches that are having trouble with false teaching, and usually what the case is is somebody's coming in behind him, right? To call themselves in the case of the Corinthians the super apostles or something like we're better than him. Obviously we can preach better. We speak better. We don't look like him. We don't have eye problems like him. Come on guys. <laughs> he doesn't like, even see good. No. So we're, we're better than him. And Paul's response. Okay. In that situation, or when he's writing to Timothy and Timothy's facing the chance of, of false teaching and, uh, there are people in his church who are steering away to a different kind of teaching. Paul's words to these people are, you know, me, mm. You know my doctrine. You you know what we were like when we were with you. Mm. You know you know how we lived. You know how all this sort of stuff is. And so there's this sense in which he's pointing back to himself and saying, "Look, we proved the truthfulness of our doctrine by by our sharing ourselves with you, our lives." Just read through Second Corinthians. This is his argument. Mm. And yet you guys are leaving behind that and for the sake of these people that you don't know or whose lives don't match it and these sorts of things. Come on, guys. Hmm. You know me. So this is my concern. People start listening to Joe Austin. You don't know him. And you might say, well, I don't know Jeff Bucknam either. Right, but you know people who do know me and who do know uh, how I live and what cars I drive and whether or not I'm consistent in what I, when I preach and don't preach. You know me. You have access anyway to know me at some level far beyond the level that you would have access with a lot of those other people. This is my concern. And local local church pastors should should be, in my view, their teaching should be honored at least. You don't need to agree with everything they're saying. Mm-hmm. But when they're speaking to you and you've seen in their life the, the words they're speaking is matched by the lifestyle they have, that it should carry a weight with you more than it currently does, which is, I mean, the great fear Socrates had, of course, was when the printed word was going to come out, he was freaked out that people Mm -hmm. were going to write things down 
because just by writing something down and you reading it makes you think that it's more believable than the guy who's just sitting in front of you and saying it. And Socrates' argument is no. Like you should you should evaluate what people say or communicate with you based upon not just what the content of the thing is, but the content of the person who's saying it to you. Mm. And I think that that's that has merit. Mm. And it's one of the, I, candidly, I think it's one of the challenges in mega churches like like ours that you know somebody like me is on a screen and a lot of people don't don't know me and it you know I, I end up getting treated like other like other voices that people listen to and they don't they don't know me. But my thing is if you don't know me, you you should at least put a question mark a little bit more over what I'm teaching you than if you know somebody really well. Mm right and their life is matching and you can see how they're getting it from scripture and you're able to engage do you see what i'm saying yeah see one of the things when i when you ask that question jeff the thing i was concerned with is what if you get someone who says yeah i i don't look to my local church pastor for their teaching because honestly they're not a good teacher and that could be doctrinally or they're like i I just can't like they're just boring me to death well i would say that if if they are if they are doctrinally off base I think you need to be working. Uh, you actually owe it to the church to be working uh, patiently and gently for that person's help and for the church's help. Do you understand? There mm-hmm. are elders of local churches who should be talked to about the doctrine that their pastors preach if the pastor is not uh, teaching according to the word. Now, when I say that, you need to understand that just because you interpret it a particular way doesn't mean that you're right about that, that sometimes people come and say, well, I don't like what my pastor's preaching because it's different than, and then when the conversation starts, all of a sudden it comes aware that actually the pastor has more uh, biblical justification for their belief than you do, right? So it's an open dialogue and a discussion, but if you're a member of a local church, you actually owe it to the local church and uh, to the pastor and to the leadership to be raising questions about it Hmm. with them saying, are we sure that this is what's biblical? Because, you know, I, I don't, I don't see, I can't read it that way. Show me, show me in the Bible where, where this teaches this way, you know, rightly interpreted, mm. sh- show me where the justification for this is. Mm. So I think that you have a response. Yeah. You have a responsibility if you're in that situation. And if the person's preaching just flat like heresy, you should get out. No, there's no reason why you should stick around if, if you're under the teaching of, of somebody who is apostate. But if you feel like I'm the only sound guy, I'm the only guy who's kind of well, like I'm the worship leader. And if I don't. Yeah. If you if you say that you're only only sound guy there, though, I I would quite raise questions about how arrogant you are. Mm. Right. There's, you're not probably the only only person there. But look, I came from a mainline church. And so I, I think you can you can work mm. toward uh, renewal in local churches. But if your voice eventually is not being heard, I think that there's a way for you to peacefully go elsewhere to worship with other people. I think, that's a, I think that's a sound reason for why it is that you would leave a church. It's a far better reason than whether or not you can get good parking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. Awesome. Well, gentlemen, this was a good, I thought this was a good discussion. This was a... Uh, was, well, at least you were pleased with it. I was pleased. This is going down as one of my favorite episodes. My second favorite episode ever. Until next time, where we will revolutionize the podcast once again. Yes. Mm. Thanks to Jonathan Ive for stopping by from his busy day at Apple headquarters uh, to join us here on the podcast. And uh, again, if you have any questions, you want to email us at extra at Norfia.org or you can interact with us on our Facebook page, Extra Podcast. Uh, we will do our best to get those questions answered for you. Until then, until next week, goodbye. <laughs>